All right. Well, good morning. Yeah, good. Good to see you guys all here. And uh, kids, where are you? Raise your hand. Man, so glad to have you guys in here this morning. Hey, um, I've got stuff. You can put them down. Thank you. Man, I love your eagerness too. Hey, I've got stuff for you this morning too. So don't completely check out, okay? So in about three or four minutes, I've got something. I'm going to throw up on the screen a video for you. And then I've got some questions for you afterwards, okay? <laughs> Say yes if you're tracking with me. Say yes if you, if you heard me. Kids. Yes. Okay, good. All right. So, so here's what uh, we're going to do today. We're going to continue on in our series. Now, uh, this Blueprint series that we've been doing is a series where uh, we are looking at questions that uh, we all have asked. There, there's some of them that maybe we've wrestled with for a while. Some of them we wrestled with uh, maybe earlier on in our, in our life as believers. Maybe some are wrestling with them now still uh, because some of these questions, they keep coming up and they're hard to resolve. And so what we're doing with this series is we're going and at least trying to get, get us on the, uh, the path toward answering these questions or thinking about uh, these questions. And so I've, as I've said a few times before, uh, this may be a series for you where you're getting some of these questions that you've always had answered. And maybe for others of you, you're, you're, you've got kind of a grasp on this, but this is an opportunity to kind of sh- uh, shore up and, and hone some of those skills, lay that foundation a little bit more, and, and uh, maybe even think about how would I communicate this in a way to people who maybe they don't go to a church, they don't go to my church, uh, maybe they didn't grow up in the church. And so it forces you to think about the way you say things and the way you speak about things. So maybe this is a, a series for you where it's going to challenge those kind of things. Last week we looked at what is sin, and uh, it, was, it was so good to talk about sin, I figured let's talk about it again because it's so encouraging, right? Right, okay. I wanted to do one more week because last week what I said is we were looking at kind of the big picture of sin, right? How sin impacts all of, all of the world and all of us, and so what we saw was that sin devastates us, but God delivers us. And we talked about how sin impacts every person, there's nobody who's exempt from that, and that it infects every part of us. And so, but God has been faithful and God has provided a deliverer, Jesus, who uh, re- he can free us from the power of that sin. What we want to do this week is I want to kind of hone in a little bit more, kind of zoom in on our lives, and uh, I'm not going to be meddling, so uh, disclaimer, by the way, I hear this quite a bit, no, I don't call any of your wives before I preach on Sunday, no, I don't read your emails before I preach on Sunday, no, nobody calls me and says, can you please mention this kind of thing when I preach on Sunday, okay? So when I say something like, I'm going to zoom in and look at our lives, that's not because I have specific things about some of you in here that I'm planning on, you know, using, just disclaimer, okay? But what I want to do is look at how this pattern of sin is true for all of us. Because everyone in us, of us in here deals with sin. We all continue to wrestle with it, struggle with it. It still shows up in our lives. And what I want us to see this morning is that there's a pattern that most every sin in our life will follow. And we, we get that from the scripture. And so what I've noticed in my life at least is, um, say, take a particular sin. Let's say I, I have a jealous thought of somebody. I want what they have or I don't have what they have and I want it. If I leave that thought unchecked, if I let it stay there, if I don't deal with it appropriately, then what starts to happen is that's, that thought starts to kind of grow some roots inside of me. Right? And it's going to come back out again. And it's going to come up again. And it might be bigger and, and stronger than it was before because I haven't dealt with it appropriately. I'm giving it permission to uh, kind of just stay there. And so what you might say is, uh, the longer it stays, or the longer it sits, the stronger it gets, right? Um, It'd be like uh, trash cans, right? 
Think about your kitchen trash can or maybe your outside trash can. You've got trash in it. It's piling up all week long for, for most of you. And the longer that trash sits in that bin, what happens? The stronger that smell gets. Kids with uh, youngins, that diaper genie. Right? That all infamous diaper genie, as much as it hides the smell, if you let that diaper genie sit, the longer it sits, the stronger it gets. Right? Now, uh, that's the same as, as true for you as well as it is for me. Pick any sin in your life. Right? So it may be a jealous thought, it may be a hateful thought, it may be you know, a given into a desire, it may be whatever. Pick whatever you want. And what you're going to find is that if you leave that sin in your life unchecked, if you uh, leave it alone and you don't appropriately deal with it, then it's going to sit there and it's going to start to grow roots. And the longer that it sits, the stronger it gets. And so here's where I'm going this morning for us. When it comes to sin, the longer it sits, the stronger it gets. Now, I've got to say something about this phrase because um, I can't take credit for that phrase. In fact, Lindsay came up with that phrase uh, several months ago. The longer it sits, the stronger it gets. Um, and, and I kind of just wrote it down because I thought, well, that's good. But here's kind of how that, that came up. I, I can't remember the exact scenario where this phrase was, was used, but we were in the kitchen. And it was either we were marinating something and we were talking about how long should we let it sit in the marinade. And, and that phrase was used, the longer it sits, the stronger it gets. That's, it could have been that. Um, it could have been also that that the baby was kind of crawling around and had just taken care of some, some business and we were debating who gets to change the diaper and the phrase may have been thrown out in that way. Well, the longer it sits, the stronger it gets. You know? so, um, but I heard that phrase and I thought, man, that'll preach. I like that. And, and, and I immediately thought, wow, that, that, that's about sin right there. So I kind of wrote it down months ago and was hoping that I'd get an opportunity to throw it in there. But I had to get credit where credit's due. So, babe, thanks for preaching this month. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so when it comes to sin, though, the longer it sits, the stronger it gets. All right, and here's what we're going to see this morning is in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis 3. That's at the beginning of your Bible. If you need a Bible, uh, grab one of the Bibles on the chairs there in front of you. And if you're using one of those, go to page 5. Go to page 5. And we're just going to look at the first seven verses. Chapter 3 of Genesis, verses 1 through 7. And then kids, you still with me kids? If you are, say yes. yes. Alright, good. After I read these verses, I've got something coming up for you. So stay tuned. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. So God has already created. He's put the first people in the garden. And now we've zoomed in to look at them. And God has said to them, when, they put him, uh, when he put them in this garden, you may eat of any tree of the garden except for this one tree, right? And that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so what we have now here is, is Moses is showing us when he writes Genesis how sin entered into the human world. So verse 1 of chapter 3, Now the serpent was more shrewd than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit from the trees of the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, God said you must not eat from it, and you must not touch it or else you will die. The serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like divine beings who know good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, was attractive to the eye, and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together 
and made coverings for themselves. Alright, so before we go any further, kids, what I've got for you now, I've got a video that shows and talks about the verses that we just read. So we're going to go ahead and play that video here. In the beginning, God created everything. He made the bright sun to shine during the day and the mysterious moon to glow at night. He shaped the earth with his bare hands. He covered its surface with glistening waters. He called towering mountains to sprout from the ground and then laid a bed of soft grass across the land. He made the graceful birds in the sky and the colorful fish in the sea. Everything God made was perfect, but not everything was created equal. His best and most favorite of all was his last creation, Adam and Eve. And because God loved them so much, he made a special home just for them, a place called the Garden of Eden. Everything on earth was perfect, but perfection wouldn't last forever. As they were walking together in the garden one evening, God said to Adam, Do you see all of these trees in the garden? I made them just for you. You can eat from any tree that you choose except one. There's a tree in the middle of the garden that I don't want you to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you choose to eat its fruit, then you will surely die. God had a wicked enemy named Satan. Satan hated God and wanted to destroy everything that God loved, especially Adam and Eve. He knew of God's one rule and saw a perfect opportunity to trick them. So one day, as Eve was taking a walk in the garden, Satan, disguised as a snake, slithered up to Eve and quietly whispered in her ear, Did God really say you mustn't eat from any tree in the garden? Eve quickly replied, No, we may eat from the trees, just not from the tree in the middle of the garden. If we eat from that tree, we will die. The clever serpent hissed back, Surely you will not die. God knows that if you eat from it, your eyes will be open to see good and evil. With just one bite, you will know everything and be just like him. Satan's tricky words consumed Eve's heart. She thought, Just one little bite won't hurt anyone, right? It's just one piece of fruit. If God really does love me, then why wouldn't he want me to have it? Eve reached out toward the tree and snatched the fruit from the branch, and then, hesitantly, she opened her mouth and took a bite. To her surprise, she did not die. In fact, the fruit was good to taste, so she took it to her husband. Adam knew in his heart he should not do it, but he chose to disobey God, and he ate the forbidden fruit. The very moment Adam took a bite of the fruit, everything changed. Suddenly the air felt dark and heavy, and there was an odd clenching in Adam's chest. Adam and Eve both felt something that they had never felt before. They felt wrong. They knew that they had just sinned against God, and for the first time in their lives they were afraid. Afraid of what would happen next, and worst of all, they were afraid of God. Later that day, God came to spend time with them like he did every day. When he didn't find them, he cried out, Adam, where are you? Adam nervously replied, We heard you coming and we got scared, so we hid in the bushes. God knew exactly what had happened, so he asked, 
Adam, have you eaten from the tree I told you not to eat from? Adam cried out, It was her, pointing his finger at Eve. She, she made me do it. God turned to Eve. What is this that you have done, Eve? She replied, The, the, the snake made me do it. God's heart was broken. He knew that his perfect creation was no longer perfect. He knew they would feel hurt, they would feel fear, and eventually they would even die. With great pain in his heart, God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, and they would never be able to walk with him on the earth again. When Adam disobeyed God, he brought sin into the world. Along with sin came fear, sadness, pain, sickness, and ultimately death. But that's not the end of the story. Thankfully, God had a plan, a plan to fix the awful mess that Adam had made. One man messed it all up, but through God's plan, one man would fix everything. All right, where's my kids? Where's the kids? Raise your hands. All right, you got them all up? Okay. Here's what I, I want you to remember, okay? Can you, you repeat after me? You see those of you that can read up on the screen? Who can read? Somebody read that out loud. Just read it out loud. Kids, somebody. Good. Go ahead up front here. Go ahead and read it, Julian. Yeah, you can read too. To God. Yeah, good. So, oh, oh, we got one more. Okay, go ahead. One more. Go ahead. Cheers. All right. So, here's what I want to do, kids. This is, this is what I want you to remember. Sin keeps me from God. Can you say that, kids? Sin keeps me from God. Okay, I don't know if I heard you all. Can you say it again? Sin keeps me from God. Okay, now let's read the next part. Jesus brings me to God. Let's say that one again. Jesus brings me to God. So let's say it all together. Ready? Sin keeps me from God. Jesus brings me to God. I want you to remember that because when you leave here today, when you get in the car, I want you to ask your parents about that. Okay? Because now we're going to talk to your parents for a little bit and we're going to teach them something similar. And then I want you guys to be able to talk after the service about what sin does. Okay? And then I'm going to quiz you at the very end to see if you remember this phrase, okay? Who likes quizzes? Yeah, you guys, no, I don't believe you. Okay, maybe you do. So at the end of the, at the, end of the when I'm done talking, I've got it coming back. We'll see who remembers it. So sin keeps me from God. Jesus brings me to God. That's for you, kids. Parents, we're going to come back to ours here because it's a little different. It's going to go a little bit more in depth. Parents, so I would just want to remind you, here's where we're going this morning. For the parents, when it comes to sin, the longer it sits the stronger it gets. Okay, so for parents, that's what I want you to walk away with this morning. When it comes to sin, the, the longer it sits, the stronger it gets. So let's take a look at that uh, as we kind of walk through Genesis chapter 3 there. 
All right. So the first thing that we're going to see, we're going to see a progression that takes place. Uh, and, and these next three points that I'm going to show you is that if, if they remain unchecked, if, if sin is unappropriately left in, uh, in within us, undealt with, these things will progress. And the first thing that starts to happen, the way that sin starts to uh, influence us and impact us, is that sin causes us to doubt God's word. Sin causes us to doubt God's word. And so you'll remember when we were reading through Genesis, the serpent comes up and he asks her what, uh, to Eve, what did God say? Did he say that you cannot eat of any of the trees in the garden? And, and the woman gives her answer. And here's what the serpent replied back to Eve. Surely you will not die. In other words, she had just said, God said the day we eat of it, and she added and touch it, we will surely die. And the serpent replied back, you're not going to die. Surely that's not true. What is he doing there? He's planting a seed of doubt. God didn't say that, did he? Or he really didn't mean it the way you're understanding it. He plants a seed of doubt. He starts to doubt God's word. So when, when we leave sin unchecked in our life, we too can start to doubt God's word. And, and that may look different ways for, for us. So one of the ways that that may look is we start to doubt the authority of God. We, we fail when we hear God's word read or when we read it ourselves. We fail to hear in it the authority of God himself. So when we stop reading God's word, when we stop hearing God's word, and we stop allowing and giving it the authority of God, that's going to lead to us Doubting God's word. Because instead of us giving the authority to God's word or hearing in it God's authority, what we start to do instead is elevate other things and give them authority. So when it comes to a decision we have to make, when it comes to uh, something that maybe the Bible calls sin, but we're trying to wrestle with that and maybe we don't want it to be sin because we want it, whatever it is, instead of uh, believing God's word, we'll start to doubt it. And we'll elevate other things instead. So maybe the government has something to say about what we want. And maybe the government's opinion is different from what the Bible says. So we'll now elevate the authority of the government. And we'll say, we'll see that the government researchers, the, the studies show that this really is not as bad as maybe the Bible leads it to believe, uh, me to believe. So we start to elevate something else over God's word. And it may be the government. It may be people in authority over us. It may be uh, teachers, parents, uh, coaches, people who maybe we, we look up to or maybe we kind of see as an authority and we delegate authority to them instead of God's word. And so we start to doubt God's word and we don't hear in it the authority of God. Instead, we start to elevate the authority of others, maybe who have influence over us because maybe they've had some impact in our life. And so we say, well, if this person says it's okay, then it must be Okay, so maybe we elevate people who are in influence. Uh, maybe we elevate just our own desires. You know, it, I mean, I, I feel like I want this. It, it, it seems to be natural to me, so it's got to be okay. I become my own authority instead of God's authority. So we can doubt God's word when we fail to hear in it the authority of God, and instead we let something else other than God have authority, the ultimate authority in our life. But we can also doubt God's word, and, and, and we may see both of these things, we may see one or the other, but what happens when we start to doubt God's word is we start to question, is it even relevant? Is God's word even relevant to me now? So as we read through the Bible, as we hear the scriptures read or taught, we find ourselves thinking, but that was so long ago. 
thousands of years ago. If we're, if we're reading the New Testament, we're talking at least 2,000. If we're reading the Old Testament, it's even older than that. And so that's so long ago, it doesn't have any relevance for me now, today, in the 21st century, in 2016. So maybe we, we start to question its relevance. Maybe as we're reading in there, we, we clearly identify the culture of the Bible is completely different than the culture that I'm living in today. And so the things that I'm reading when I read the Bible, they were saying that within that culture, for that culture. And so we start to dis, dis, disregard its relevance. And we say, but it has no bearing on my culture today. It's not relevant for me because the culture's changed. People are educated differently. We know more now. We start to doubt its relevance. Or maybe we, we come to a particular issue or we're, we're dealing with a particular issue or sin or we have a question about something and we're searching the Bible or, or at least we're, we're searching what we think we know of the Bible and we say, you know what, I don't recall the Bible ever talking about that. It never talks about that. It never mentions that word. So it must not speak to my situation. It must not speak to this particular issue. This must not be sin. We doubt its relevance. We question it. It, it really shouldn't have bearing on my life today. I mean, we might also say it this way. It's just a book. I mean, why does this book get any more significance and value than any other book? We start to doubt its relevance. So we can doubt God's word when we fail to hear in it the authority of God. Uh, we might start to question its relevance. But another way that we might start to doubt God's word is we diminish its sufficiency. It, it can't speak to what I'm going through. It's not sufficient to address this topic. The Bible never mentioned anything about these issues or, or the things that we're wrestling with today. And so instead of going to the Bible and he hearing in it the authority of God, what we start to do instead is we say, well, the Bible is not sufficient. I need to go to someone else who's a, an expert in this field. I need to go to someone else or I need to read someone else or listen to someone else or talk to someone else who knows more about this issue. And so what starts to happen is we say, well, the Bible, I, I may believe it, I may trust it, but it, it's not sufficient for this issue. It, it doesn't ever address this issue. And so we then start to, again, goes back to that authority. We elevate someone else who's in authority. You see, these, these are some of the different ways that we can start to doubt God's word. And when we have a sin, that, that could be the smallest of sins, the, the, the tiniest of hateful thoughts or, or the jealous thought. That could be a, a desire that we allow to control us. That can be, you know, whatever the, 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 the sin may be in our life. If we leave that unchecked, if we don't appropriately deal with it, the, the, the way that we probably got to that spot to begin with is somewhere along the way we were doubting God's word. And, and if we leave that sin unchecked longer, the longer we do, the more we are likely to doubt God's word. Because our, our choices, our, our sin, what we want, has now come into conflict with what God has said. And when those two are in conflict and we have a tension, we're going to resolve it some way or the other. But what's going to happen is if we leave sin unchecked, it's likely going to grow roots. Remember, the, the longer it sits, the stronger it gets. And we're going to start to doubt God's word. And if we allow ourselves to go down that path and we, we start to doubt God's word, then likely what's coming next, if it's not already there, is this. We start to redefine what's right. If I'm doubting God's word, it doesn't uh, have the authority that, that God has. It, it's not sufficient to address my issues. Um, it, it's not relevant to speak into my life. Well, then now I'm left with, I've got to redefine what's right. 
If I'm not going to listen to what the Bible and God's Word has to say about it, I now have to redefine what's right. And so we start to do that. And so that's what we see happening in verses 5 and 6. So the serpent says, Well, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will open and you will be like divine beings who know good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, was attracted to the eye and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So sin can start to cause us to redefine what's right. And one of the ways it can do that is it makes empty promises to us. So if I were to go back to verse 5 there, you see, for God knows that when you eat it, from it, uh, eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like divine beings. The empty promise, you'll be enlightened. You'll know more. Take a sin for the moment. Take, say, let's say the, one of the more popular sins that's driving uh, the political agenda uh, today. Okay, I'm, I'm speaking around it so that you don't have to necessarily go into an explanation real early in life with kids. Okay? But I hope, I hope you're tracking with me here. What starts to happen when we say we're redefining what's right? The, the lines and, and the, the political agenda is, this is 2016. Uh, we know more now than we knew then. Um, to hold on to the view that you've traditionally held on to is, is to be discriminatory. And instead, uh, you're failing to be enlightened, to, to grow in your understanding and knowledge. See, sin offers us that. You'll be enlightened. You'll know more than, than you know. You'll, you'll, you'll mature with the age, if you will. It makes empty promises. And when we start to buy into that, then again, we find ourselves in positions of authority that we don't have. And so we start to then become gods in and of ourselves. We start to be the ones saying, well, this is right, this is not right, here's why. We've abandoned the word of God, and now we're redefining what's right. And sin's making empty, empty promises to us. We might think we're enlightened, but all the while we're just going more and more into enslavement and entrapment. And so what starts to happen then is we will justify our sin so that we can do what we want. We'll start to justify. And so here's what it looked like in verse 6. Right? As you were tracking through verse 6, there's several things that happened. Right? The first thing is she looked at it and it looked good. She, she said it looks good for food. And so what we might do to justify our sin, remember the longer it sits, the stronger it gets, is we're going to start telling ourselves, it's going to meet a basic need of mine. If I, if I pursue what I want, whatever it is that we're wrestling with, because maybe back in our mind we know this is not, this is not what the Bible says is, is good, but I want this. And so as we pursue it, we start to convince ourselves and even tell others, it's my basic need. I was born with this need. I, I can't shake this need. So therefore, to give in to this, to go towards this, is not sin. Instead, it's me just getting what I need to survive. We start to justify it because it might meet our basic needs. Uh, it might look like this. We might find that we have a desire or an attraction to something because, hey, sin is attractive. Right? It wouldn't be such a big problem if sin was not attractive. You know, most of us would not struggle with sin and deal with sin if the things that were tempting us were not attractive and desirable to us. But Satan is good at what he does. And so what she saw, she looked at that fruit and she goes, man, that fruit looks good. I mean, it, 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 it's kind of that principle, right? When someone says you can't have something, you, may, you probably didn't want it to begin with, 
But now that they said you can't have it, all of a sudden you've got a craving for that. You, you can't help yourself. You want what they say you can't have, right? That is the nature of when law and sin comes into conflict. And she's looking at this fruit and she's going, well, you know, because she's already started to doubt God's word. Surely you won't die is what the serpent said to her. And she's going, well, it does look good. It is desirable. I do kind of long for that. And so what we start to tell ourselves is if we have a desire for it or we're attracted to that thing, it must be good. Because we'll tell ourselves, well, we were created with these desires. I can't help this desire. I can't, I can't help who I love or how I love or what I like or how I like it. It's just in me. And so therefore, if it's in me, I didn't do anything to get it there, then it must be good. And so we justify it to ourselves in that way, that it's desirable, it's attractive, so it, it's got to be good. It may, it may look like this. If we only knew more, then we would believe or trust God. She saw that uh, it was good and desirable for making one wise. Right? We always want to know more. Some of you, maybe you struggle with questions uh, you know, about God or um, maybe about the Bible. And so maybe you've said this to yourself before. You know, if, if I only have this question answered, if I only knew a little bit more, or if I can just kind of go down this path for a little while, explore these other areas, then after I've done that and tested them out, then I will believe. We desire knowledge. We desire wisdom. And sometimes that desire of knowledge and wisdom is the very thing that keeps us from living in a way that honors God. Instead, it, it actually is sin pulling us deeper and deeper in. If, if I just knew more, then I'd believe. We might do this, right? Others are doing it. And so if they're doing it, it must be okay. So now I'm thinking about Adam. See, you've probably noticed in the text, after Eve eats it, and she handed it to her husband who was there with her. In other words, what, the, what the, the scriptures tell us is that Adam was there the whole time. right? Adam is the one that God gave this commandment to. Don't eat of this tree the day you, you should surely die. And here he is. He's standing right there. We don't know that until this part in verse 6 when she hands it to him who's standing right there. But he's been standing there the whole time. The whole time that the serpent is talking to Eve and tempting her, he's there. The whole time that she goes to reach for that fruit and then take a bite of it, he's there. And then she hands it to him, and what does he do? Not you vile woman, you shouldn't have sinned against God, off with your head. No, he doesn't do anything like that. Instead he says, well, if you did it, you didn't die. It is good. It looks good. And he takes it too. Others are doing it. And so we start to justify it to ourselves. And those others may be people we look up to and we respect. They, they may be people in our family. They may be friends. They may be teachers, coaches. And we look at it and we go, but they're not that bad. You know, they, they're doing this thing that, that I've been taught or told that it's not right, that it's sinful. But yet they're not that bad and they seem to have a good life. And so we start to justify it to ourselves. And we say, others are doing it. So it's not that bad. It must be okay. We redefine what's right. So you see, sin starts by causing us to doubt God's word. And as we continue in doubting God's word, what starts to happen is we then start to redefine what's right. If we start to redefine what's right, then what's next for us is we also then redefine who we are. You see, as you read through Genesis, you, you get at least one thing real clear. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
there is one God, He's creator, He created all, and then after, after that you start to see everything that He created, including, including people. Right? And so we are the creation, He is the creator, He's the one in authority, we are not, but as we start to doubt God's word and then we start to redefine what's right, then we find ourselves in a position where we're saying, I'm going to redefine who I am. In other words, God's not God, or He may be God, and I'll worship Him on Sunday, I'll respect Him, I'll honor Him, you know, I'll live a, a basically good life. But when it comes to decisions in my life, when it comes to things that I'm struggling with, I'm going to be the one to decide what's right and what's wrong. We make ourselves God. And in and, 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 and doing that, we actually end up denying God. In Psalm 14.1, the fool is the one who says in his heart, there is no God. But that's exactly what we do when we start to redefine ourselves and we say, I'm God. And so that's where in verse 5, again, you will be like divine beings. Sin is what entices us to be like God. If you were to go back and read about the fall of, of Satan who was an angel, it was pride. He wanted to be like God. And that's what happens with sin. Is it, as it sits, is it starts to fester, it grows roots, and we start to redefine who we are. God's no longer God. I have authority to speak into my life. And so we start to redefine who we are. This is the progression that sin takes. Pick a sin, any sin in your life, any sin uh, that you've ever dealt with, anyone that you're aware of, and you can see it following along this progression at some point or another. You start to doubt God's word, so therefore you've now got to redefine what's right because you've eliminated the authority from your life. And once you start to redefine what's right, you've put yourself in the position of God. You've redefined who you are. The longer you let that progression sit, the more the roots of sin will take, uh, grow deeper in you and the harder it is for you to get out of that cycle. And, and, and the more you're going to be blinded to that cycle. When it comes to sin, the, the longer it sits, the stronger it gets. Okay, but here's, here's the thing. There's, it's not hopeless, you see, because there's things that we can do to break this cycle, right? The first thing is, and, and perhaps maybe the most obvious thing is, we've got to know God's Word, right? So Eve, that's where she went, went, went wrong. She didn't quite have God's Word in her, in her mind right. She was a little off on it, and when someone else came around and, and, said, and, and caused her to, attempt, uh, to doubt it by saying, surely you're not going to die, she gave in. We've got to know God's Word. We've got to know it so well, so intimately, that when others come to us and say things, even if they use God's Word, but slightly twist it, which Satan does, and people do, in fact, we do, right? We've got to be able to identify when that's happening so that we can say, boy, that sounds good to the ears, but that's not quite right. right? We've got to know God's Word. The only way you can know God's Word, you've got to either listen to it, you've got to read it, right? You, you've got to uh, talk to people who listen to it and read it and, and encourage one another in that. And I say listen to it because I know not everybody's a reader or maybe your lifestyle, you're on the road a lot. There's nothing wrong with you listening to an audio Bible, by the way. If you're not waking up every morning reading the Bible, but instead you're listening to the Bible, one's not more spiritual than the other. Guess what? The people in the Bible times did not wake up every morning and read their personal Bible because they didn't have it. Instead, maybe once a week or so, they got to gather and hear it read. And they didn't have all that we have. So my point is, get it in you. 
If that's listening, use the Bible app. The, the, uh, the Bible app, you can get on your phone. You can listen to certain translations on that. There's plenty of good apps that you can use. Get an audio Bible on CD, you know, or something if you're driving a whole lot and listen to it. Maybe you want to listen to that before you go to bed at night. I mean, figure out what works for you. If you're a reader, then, then find times to read it. You've got to know it, though. You've got to know it. All right, that's one way. Um, the other thing is this. How do, we, how do we resist this temptation? We've got to know God's redemption. We've got to know God's redemption. Because it's in God redeeming us by Christ coming and living the perfect life, uh, earning the very righteousness of God, and then dying in the place of you and me, sinners, people who were guilty before God, and then rising from the dead. It's Him who has earned what we needed to earn. And so now God says, I'll give that to you if you just trust in Him. And when we trust in Christ, what we get is a life that is no longer in bondage to sin. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We get the very power and the very strength and the very life of Christ. The one that overcame death. The one that overcomes sin. And we get the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is who lives inside us and helps us to remember God's Word and, and helps us to stand upon it and helps us to resist when maybe we're too weak in our flesh to resist because there's times where we'll be able to resist in our flesh but inwardly we're, we're still not in line with God. But the Spirit helps us to match the outside and the inside. He constantly is working on us and changing us and molding us and that's a lifelong process by the way. It's different for everyone. But as he does that, as he shapes and molds us, the more that he grows us, the more that we will desire the things of God and the less that we will desire the things uh, of, that, of this world of sin. We've got to pursue the things of God. We've got to pursue things that will stir up our affections for God rather than our affections for sin. The more that we desire the things of God, the less we're going to desire cheap substitutes. Right? But we've got to know first God's redemption. Otherwise, we have no hope. Otherwise, the cycle, it's just going to be repetitive. Even if we try to break it, it's just going to be outward. It won't match inward. Okay? Pause there for a minute, parents. Kids, you still with me? Yeah. Alright, what, uh, what was the phrase I gave you? What were we supposed to remember? Sin. <laughs> yeah, so... Sin keeps us from God. Jesus brings us to God. Kids, say with me. Sin keeps me from God. Jesus brings me to God. Alright, here's, here's what I want to do uh, this morning to close this out. If you're able, will you please stand? And earlier in our service, Nick and Melissa, uh, they read from Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm of confession. And uh, what I want to do is we're going to pull those verses back up. I've got them up here. And I want us to just read them together. And then after that, we're done. Okay, we'll dismiss. So before we read this, kids, remember, you're going to ask your parents about that phrase. Uh, and you guys try to have a conversation about that later today. Parents, don't be scared. It's okay. Just engage with where you're at. Okay? You don't have to have all the answers. You already know more than your kids. Okay? You do. So just engage with where they're at. Be honest. Here's what I want us to do with Psalm 51. We're going to read just verses 1 through 10. And I would like for you to just take a moment, and we've all got a sin. We've got multiple ones, but pick one. Maybe there's one that rises to the top. Maybe there's one that, that has just been weighing on you. And let this, as we read this, let this be a prayer of yours, of confession to God. 
Because it's when we confess, it's not that we confess to get God's forgiveness. We already have that if we've placed our trust in Christ. Instead, what happens is when we confess, we realign ourselves with God. We, we realign that intimacy and that harmony in our relationship that's been broken. Because we are now acknowledging, God, I agree with you that this is sin. So let's read this together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judged. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So God, that's our prayer this morning. We all come before you as broken people, as people who are imperfect, as people who are need, in need of a Savior. God, I thank you that you sent Christ to be our Savior, to deliver us from sin so that we would not continue to be enslaved. And so, God, this morning, if there's some here who need to hear that and respond to that by faith, I pray that you would do so. Uh, you would move in their hearts so they would understand and do so. That they would take their weight off of whatever it is they're trusting in and instead put it all on what Christ has done so that they then might know your redemption and the freedom from this enslavement to sin. For all of us, God, this, this, this struggle is real. And it will not go away until the day Christ comes back and our salvation is complete when our bodies are perfected. And so God, until then, would you help us to resist? Help us to walk by your Spirit instead of fulfilling the desires of the flesh and help us to set our minds on things above or where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. God, do help us to surround ourselves with things that stir up our affections for you so that our desire for you is stronger than our desire for sin. And so, God, when we do find ourselves sinning, when we do become aware, quickly lead us to the point of being able to confess like we do with this psalm. To acknowledge that you are the one that we first sinned against. And then, God, let us walk in your grace and know your forgiveness. God, I'm so grateful for your grace and your forgiveness. Thanks that we got to have our kids in the service today. I pray that you will continue to grow and shape them as well. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. And guys, with that, you're dismissed. See ya.